0: world sean we're grateful to have you here he just so the viewer knows he's the number one realtor in all of idaho and then he's he's among the top 200 in the country
1: well, i think the funniest thing that i have told people this before i think it's easier sometimes to sell a million dollar house than it is a hundred thousand dollar house because for the like a first-time home buyer that's their biggest investment they've ever made in their life sure. and for, i mean they are so stressed mm. whereas what i'm selling it's not a need it's a want They've attracted literally the wealthiest people on planet Earth. These are some of the best
2: communities that money can buy. They don't get better than this. This is the top of the food chain, like the very, very top. These guys know how to market like I've never seen. They, have, they understand brand like I've never seen. I am pumped right now, right here, to have Mr. Sean Taylor in the studio today. This guy, if you don't know, you probably do, but if you don't know, this is the premier realtor for our market. Uh, He's a broker that deals with the A-list celebrities of our community, the best athletes in our community, and the top business people all over the world. Uh, He's a broker for Gazer Ranch. He's got a company called Timber Vale Real Estate. They service Big Sky, uh, Schweitzer Mountain, Sandpoint, um, Coeur d'Alene, and yeah, the cherry on top, really, from my perspective, is his Gazer uh, connection. So,
0: Yeah, I'll jump in here, too. One thing... uh Eric and I are pumped about for Man on a Mission is we're deliberately looking at some of the premier brands in Coeur d'Alene, like top top companies, what makes living here incredible, the lifestyle, both from the day-to-day life, even up to the luxury market. So a neat thing that people don't know is I don't think really the broader community knows the level Sean plays at because (laughs) one of the things having worked in kind of with the real estate community broadly here is uh, Sean's one of the most understated, chill, relaxed, don't don't be fooled by this because the yeah. man's obviously accomplished he's quite aggressive. a lot. He's faced a lot of dragons, <laughs> but if you ask anybody in real estate about him, everybody will tell you they love his way of being. Totally agree. They love. He's like they, they'll tell me things like I've heard. God, just being with Sean, he's present. He's with you. Yeah. Like he he's he's always carefree, lighthearted. He. But you can imagine, and we'll get into it, like he's dealing with some high-level people, so it's not like he doesn't know how to negotiate or any of those things, don't be fooled. There's a finesse. So I'm really intrigued to ask, dive into your world, Sean. We're grateful to have you here. He, just so the viewer knows, he's the number one realtor in all of Idaho. You wouldn't know that because he doesn't even market it, right? So, but he is the number one. And then he's he's among the top 200 in the country. So right here in our town. So, Sean, thanks for being here. I think as a first (laughs) question, before we get into like where you are today, uh we had a chance to have a few coffees eric and i were talking to you i want to swing back and uh if you could bring you know touch on where you grew up but that that you you really got your start on a ski mountain and how how it, how in the world did you end up in north idaho so let's let's start there and see where this interview goes so well um
1: it's like what a ski bums end up doing they sell real estate <laughs> kind of keep the lifestyle going a little bit yeah but i was i grew up in kansas you know we do the 10 hour bus ride in high school and go ski and everything. And I fell in love with the mountains, um, got out of college, did a little stint in Chicago at the board of trade. Uh, one of my dad's salespeople got sick back in Kansas, went back to help out him. After about six months in Kansas, I moved out to Colorado and, uh, started actually started out at a t-shirt shop. That was a friend of my dad's from ski school back East at a place called peak and peak in upstate New York. And then, um, I started waiting tables at the Hyatt and Beaver Creek and that was great because I worked at night snowboarded every day was (laughs) snowboarding 130 140 days a year um did that for about five years and then kind of got to that point of I was 28 I was like I kind of got to get real with my life I don't want to be doing this till I'm 70 yeah I mean there was guys doing it but it wasn't I just didn't see myself on that path and so went back to Kansas tried to work for my dad again for a bit and just was couldn't be in in the flatlands anymore so I said hey I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the mountains. I did some research, looked at Bend, Oregon, Kellogg, and Schweitzer or Sandpoint, to open a snowboard shop. Hmm. Uh, Bend, Oregon, the town was too far away from the hill. Kellogg, I that was back when it was smokestacks and no greenery. Yeah. I just turned right around, went across the long bridge, lakes, mountain. I'm gonna figure this out. Yeah.
0: Open a snowboard shop in '94, right above Sandpoint, Idaho. It's whiter. Yeah. yeah, one
2: of the most beautiful places in America. By the way, that town is so cute, so quaint. Yeah. There's so much like happening in that little town. But you have this beautiful mountain, and then one of the most incredible lakes in all of Idaho and that, maybe in America. That, that long bridge, come across that yes. bridge. You're like, whoa, what bridge. is this? Yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah, your yeah. entry to like heaven. Yep. Yeah, Sandpoint's a special place for sure. Now you picked well, I think. I mean, I think that's what drives a lot of people up here is the natural beauty of this quarterly market.
0: Yeah, how would, as a man who sells Schweitzer, I want to hear how you talk about it. How do you talk, because you, you have a unique look into it. Like, what sets it apart? Schweitzer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Schweitzer yeah. yeah, don't tell anybody about yeah. it. Well,
1: you just, you could still ski into the chair in midweek, you know, and mm. there's so many places that are so crowded right now. And even though Schweitzer's becoming discovered and this whole area is becoming discovered, it's still... Compared to everywhere else, it's not crowded. Yeah. And it's an amazing hill. A lot of, you know, varied terrain, different snow conditions. It's just, it's a special place.
0: Right. Beautiful views. Yeah. Yeah. So how... So you got into, you you opened, how did you open your first ski shop there?
1: So, well, it was kind of funny snowboard story. Snowboard shop, yeah. Uh, I was walking through downtown. There was a store there that had some cardboard up in the window. And I had been told that somebody was maybe opening a snowboard shop. Mm-hmm. And I so I pushed in on the door and it was open. And <laughs> there's this guy behind the counter and these three kids like, oh, we can't wait till you open. We're so excited. And I'm like, oh, this is the guy, I think. So I'm like, hey, uh, he's like, can I help you? And I was like. I heard you were maybe opening a snowboard shop or something. He's like, yeah. And I said, damn. I said, you beat me to it. I said, I was thinking about doing that here as well. He's <laughs> like, well, actually, my partner just crapped the bed on me, and uh, I, need, I need a partner. Wow. Oh, wow. So we wandered down the street to Kamloops, a little bar there. That's where the Panetta Little Theater is right now. Yep. And I uh, had a couple drinks and $7,500 later I owned half a snowboard shop.
2: Oh, oh That's wow. amazing. Yeah. What a story. Yeah. So many people just thinking about entrepreneurship because it's like sort of the heart and soul of everything. Yeah. Like everything, all the people we talk to, all the things we do. But so many people think that like, how do I start? I hear this all the time. People constantly ask me, how did I get started? How do you get started? They, they think they have to have it all figured out. And here's a guy that just shows up in town. And he really gets in for no money. I mean, 75, don't get me wrong, it's a lot of money, especially for probably, you know, that time period for a young man, you know, getting up. But the reality is, is in the big scheme of things, like you're setting yourself up just by showing up and saying yes to the thing and Mm -hmm. just figuring it out. Mm -hmm. Because this led, this this one little decision to move to, to this market led to a life connected to some of the most influential people in the world some of the wealthiest people in the world. I'm not talking like just nine figures. I'm talking 10 figures, 11 figures. Like that's his reality. And he's so understated here. And it all goes back to a little snowboard shop in San Point, Idaho, that a guy crapped out in. He put $7,500 in and he's in business. Like what a story, like right there. Like that should inspire a whole bunch of people that want to do the thing. And they're thinking they need to have it all figured out. They don't have enough money. Like there's countless ways to get started. But I just feel like I wanted to just shed a little light on what I thought was just a simple golden nugget. To put yourself where you want to be, say yes to an idea, and then mm-hmm. just figure it out. And maybe luck will jump on your side. <laughs>
0: yeah, talk talk to about real estate because, you know, you're 58, Sean? 56. 56, okay. I'm aging. 57 and <laughs> <in> like <laughs> two, yeah. Months. Yeah, 57 yeah. two months. seven. Two months. All right, cool. Yeah. Slow down. Um, cool. <laughs> eight out. I know I've got gray hair, but come on. <laughs> uh, 52. Um, spirit of a 20-year-old. Um, year I edited that right. remark. No, whatever. So, uh, but you... Gazer came later in your real estate career. So, it did. So, I mean, you you earned your chops and hit levels of success long before, before. Gazer came to be, which, again, obviously. opens future doors. But talk to us about the bridge. Yeah, the bridge from, from running a ski shop to getting into real estate to Gazer.
2: And know? maybe start mm-hmm. with sort of the, the metrics of the of the snowboard shop mm-hmm. and, then, and then bridge that leap. Because yeah. I'm still curious, like that entry point into business for you, obviously probably taught you a lot.
1: So, what happened was we got the snowboard shop up to doing probably 500000 a year. Oh, good. Okay. So, you know, we were making, I don't know, eighty, ninety thousand bucks 90000 a year. But sure. for two guys, because I had a partner, it's just not quite going to cut it. And uh, I said, I'd always wanted to get into real estate. I'd always kind of, you know, driven around and looked at property and everything. And so, I always kind of had that eye on real estate. And I was waiting tables at the floating restaurant out in Hope hmm. because needed that second stream of income because... Wow. And, um, one of the waitresses there was like, or server, I should say, I'm sorry, uh, said to me, well, Hey, you know, Don's looking for an agent up at Schweitzer and I lived up at Schweitzer. So I went and got my real estate license and they just basically threw me into the office up there and I started selling real estate. I was the manager of the office Mm -hmm. with, you know, brand new agent and everything else and just kind of got thrown into it. And I always liked kind of concentrating in one area where I knew it really well and it was a little bit more compact as opposed to having to drive all over town and everything. But the cool thing about that was my first sale was, uh, Marty Becker, who's chicken soup for the pet lover's soul. He's kind of, he's on good morning America yeah. and everything. Oh, yeah. He knew me from the snowboard shop and when he heard <laughs> I was in real estate, he's like, you always took care of me at the snowboard shop. I know you'll take care of me in real estate. Wow. It transfers. And, and I found this piece of property on the lake that was awesome. It was actually, I think it was the highest price lot sale really? right off the bat that they'd had and yeah. ever. And so yeah. kind of, boom, wow. off we went. So the chicken soup is that the same? Because I I met
2: Mark Victor Hansen. Mm-hmm. So is that his partner? Or it's the same that- series but it's a
1: different author? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah Cause insane. he actually writes the book, but yeah, it's a whole series chicken soup. Yeah. They take experts. He's the number field. one author
2: I think in the world. Yeah. It's like those guys that wrote mm-hmm. those chicken soup series, like almost 700 million books sold or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's over half a billion Incredible for sure. Right. And
1: he lives North of Bonners, you know, just family guy, just Good wonderful person. Yeah. Insight to, with the I
2: type of up. people that are coming right to Sean's lap. But this is his first customer. That's my first <laughs> sale. <laughs> that's that's first, awesome. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. yeah. My broker was like, what are you doing? <laughs>
2: Sometimes luck happens or maybe it, was this the ski that uh, the stuff that connected you like who knows where the connection really yeah you knew me from from the snowboard shop
0: yeah exactly yeah yeah and you what 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 inspired you to get into owning you owned a brokerage at one point yeah so
1: after about five years at Coldwell Banker um I knew I wanted to start my own business and I talked to the owners of Coldwell Banker we just couldn't come to terms on a deal there price wise so I um John I ran into John Butler at the uh at the boat show in Spokane yeah. one day. And I said, hey, John, I'm talking about starting up a uh, brokerage in Sandpoint. And I know you used to have the C21 brokerage up there. Yeah. I, you know, is it still available? He's like, and he gave me the name of this Ken guy that was the franchise sales. And I was able to purchase the franchise in Sandpoint for $25,000. Oh, nice. So uh, good score. So John, yeah. John had it first, the C21 up there, and he sold it. He didn't sell it. He just kind of gave it up. He was like, you know, it's a tough market to break into. Yeah, right. it's, it's a little bit, you know, uh, to make sense for John. Yeah. yeah. It's just, and so um, we, I got the brokerage. I went and recruited a couple agents and then actually brought in a partner who was one of the top agents in Sandpoint. Right. Uh, but I knew he had some kids and maybe he was going to want to pass a legacy down to them. So it was a, it was a good match there. Sure. And so we started Century 21 in 2005, and by 2008, we were number one in uh, units sold in Sandpoint. Nice.
0: Oh, fantastic. So
1: yeah,
2: 25K yeah. in, what other investments are you making early on in buying a brokerage? That's your first one yeah. ever. Yep. Mm-hmm. Did, did it come with more strings attached than you, than you thought? No, it
1: actually was pretty easy. If we, okay. if, if we did, I think, a million dollars in commission income the first year, they actually rebated it back to us. So oh, wow. It was free. Wow, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Mm-hmm.
0: So you did it. Yep. Oh, that's very cool. Mm-hmm. God, I'm just chomping at this man's got triplets. He's got an amazing life. I want to... I'm feeling pressed for time. I want to get right to Gauzer. So yeah. so you sold that in 05? So, uh, so
1: I started in 05. Okay. In 2011, I was up at Schweitzer, and our neighbors were... Uh, Andy Holleran, he was the director of development at Gosser. Yeah. W- Who was his name? Andy Hollering. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and he's done a bunch of stuff in Bozeman and, and Missoula. But we were neighbors, and my stepdaughter had babies, had his kids and stuff, and so we were just out maybe having a few pops and he's like, Hey, you know, we kind of need a new broker at Gaza. Would you consider doing it? It was kind of as a joke. And about three days later, I kind of thought about it a little bit and I knew enough about discovery and what they were doing that yeah. I was like, that could be a pretty interesting mm-hmm. situation. And so I went back to, him, I said, Andy, were you serious about that? And he's mm-hmm. like, well, kind of. Yeah. And so it just went from there.
2: there. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. so discovery land company for people to know, they, I mean, you can go look them up, but these guys develop some of the most incredible properties all over the world. I don't know back in 2011, like what state they were at. Maybe you can speak to that. But from my perspective now, I mean, I'm thinking of the Madison. There's so many Discovery Land properties, but the Yellowstone Club, the Madison Club. You got Gaza. They're, they're in Hawaii. They're in Mexico. Right. Mm-hmm. They're amazing, though, and they've attracted literally the wealthiest people on planet Earth. These are Mm -hmm. some of the best communities that money can buy. They don't get better than this. This is the top of the food chain, like the very, very top. And um, these guys know how to market like I've never seen. They They understand brand like I've never seen and in 2011 i don't know the level of business they were at but these are legendary people now at, at this point in the game i mean honestly they just are they built some of the most incredible things so in 2011 were you aware of what this could be was it not there yet what was the state of affairs with discovery in 2011.
1: well discovery was you know they had yellowstone club they had started madison club um, they were I already rolling i think iron horse had already turned to the members up in whitefish um, they had done a couple of projects. Estancia was their first one yes, in, in right. Arizona, but 2011 w- was the bottom of the market here. Yeah, and so I had sold my business and was, and as an agent myself, was doing pretty well. In our first year at Gazer, I think we sold about 10 million dollars worth of real estate. Oh man. I was like, "What have I done?" Yeah, this was a disaster. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm like, "Oh Oh, well, What's you know, what's going to happen here?" But you could see the vision and you I mean, you just knew what was knew up there that it was special. pretty special. Yeah. And even then, I think, you know, we were selling homes for a million dollars and and local agents were like, "Well, how can you sell something that's not on the water for a million dollars?" Yeah, I get that. It's like, "Well, it's it's Gaza, you know. Yeah, it's God, right? And we'd been members since 2006, so I I knew what gaza was all about right and you could see the potential there and how just what a special place it was It is special when members from other discovery clubs would come there they're like this place is so great yeah Yeah. it's
0: really unique if you look at like uh, the history of a country the history of humanity to get to be with someone in the one percent just to meet one individual at a top top one percent of one percent of success is a gift if you converse with them get to know them but here you have a whole community of individuals that are incredibly successful what are some of the what are some of the things that you get asked about what it's like to work with that kind of population? Some of the things that stand out to you over the years that you observe to be significant? Like what comes, what people must the, ask you.
1: Yeah. They're successful people and they're all driven, but they're just like the rest of us. I mean, the, you know, they yeah. have the same concerns, same worries. And so it's really just relating to them as a person. It's not like, Oh, you know, you must be this amazing yeah, right. fanboy. You, know, you, you can't be overwhelmed by it yeah. and they don't, they appreciate when you're not. I mean, they do like yeah. to share their story yeah. because they've all been successful, but a lot of times you kind of have to draw it out of them. Right now, obviously some of the, you know, it depends on the industry they're in too. If you're in say an athlete or um, a celebrity of some sort, you're a little more used to being in the public eye, but a lot of these guys, you know, built very successful businesses and nobody right. knows who they are. Right. They must love that. And they love that. Yeah. I mean, I think the greatest story I got actually was when I lived in Kansas, um, uh, Bill Coke uh, was actually knew him through a a family friend and Mm. he said the worst thing he ever did is their company name wasn't coke oil at first it was something different but they were in new york and couldn't get a table and his finance guy was like well you need to change the name so these people know who you are and they made it coke oil and now he's well known and he doesn't like that oh i bet so Yeah. yeah it's it's uh it's just learning how to relate to, them. and like I said, they're all just yeah, all looking for the same thing really. Yeah.
2: So with Gazer, I mean, you're you're you have a front row seat to all the movement in this very exclusive community of people, right? So how does the 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 program work out there? And they are only hiring one broker, so you're the one guy, and really most of that business just really funnels through you. I mean, it's a really nice setup, first of all, but. Um, like maybe
1: give a little bit of clarity on how that works. Like you are the man there, right? So discovery at every property, they have their own brokerage right. and it's owned by discovery and they have a sales team. And, uh, you know, I was just lucky enough to be asked to be the broker yeah. there essentially. I Cause see. most of their sales guys come through the golf ranks actually. Sure. Makes and sense. you'll see that here in Coeur d'Alene too. You know, like, like Greg Rowley, John Butler, mm-hmm. a lot of these really successful agents were, on the golf side of things. They know how to talk to people and relate to people. That's the best way. It's kind of interesting. I always thought
2: that was Greg's big secret is he's such a good golfer. And so that's what he 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 did so well at BlackRock because he's just always golfing. So really, golf, what a gift if you can turn that into an asset to sell real estate because it is. I mean, there's a lot of deals made on a golf course in countless different ways. Mm. Always noticed that for years, but were were you feeling someone else's shoes in Gaza when you showed up? Was there already someone that had gotten the ball rolling and and who was out there in 2011? Was there any big names out there at that time or was it still like really under
1: there was definitely some names out there and and, you know, I mean I'm not gonna really share a lot of the names with you just because that's one of the appeals of Gaza is that it's very private and they protect the members quite a bit. And the members like when they come here that people don't really like you said, like fanboy, they're all just, they kind of, that's what's cool about quarter People don't get starstruck. It seems like we're just going to go down to earth here. We get it. You love it here. You know, have a good time. Yeah. But there was a broker there before me, Bud Boland, who had come from Sun Valley and, um, and Bud was a big ranch guy. And I think kind of at the time what there was, uh, it's a Gosser ranch is the name, which comes from John Gauzer, who owned the property up there. But, it was more of a golf and lake club. And so I kind of came more from that side of the lifestyle part of things. And sure. I think that's where the, the change occurred in the brokerage. I see. Yeah. How's it, the change been from Gaza when you started till now? Oh, just, I mean, it's amazing that we have 56 homes under construction right now. That's amazing. Um, right. when I was up there that, or when I first started, you know, it was still really intimate and I think we had 180 members at that point. Now we're at 310, right? Hmm. You know, so it's a little busier, but it's, you know, the, it's just, it's gotten better every year right. uh, discovery kind of takes a sense of place and then magnifies it and they've just continued to improve on that every year sure that's mm-hmm. yeah, a cool company these yeah. guys are iconic for sure
0: I, i'd love to ask you sean like in terms of your temperament you're, you have an easygoing nature uh everybody we ask to be on this show we ask them we, we like to hit two spectrums all right so it all has to do with one's Personal mission, one of their highest visions in their life, what they're after, what they're pursuing, but also, you know, I had a mentor once say, "You can only go as high as you've once been low." To hear people talk about a struggle, uh, something they had to overcome, what they learned from it, I'd be really interested um, to hear you answer that question. And by the way, it is hard to answer this question. Like, what's your mission? Most people, are off the cuff, but yeah. if you really sit with it, it comes through. Like, what drives you? What's your mission? If you had if you had to be framed in in that kind of box and answer a question in that box, like what's your personal mission, and then if you could maybe relate for us and the listener, like a struggle you overcame that might relate to that, is that is that clear enough? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, I think you know my mission or
1: my life is always I, I figured out when I was working at the Board of Trade, um, I had a gal invite me to New York City for the weekend and I had to leave on a Friday, mm. and I told my boss I said, hey. I'm taking off. I won't be in here Friday. Not taking a sick day or anything. I just, you know, going to meet this girl in New York City. And he looked at me and he said, "You know, I've been here 35 years and never taken a day off." Mm. And that hit me. I was like, "Man, that's that's sad." Yeah. Like I, I don't know that that's something I'd be. Yeah. Yeah. Promoting. Yeah. And it kind of <laughs> hit me right then that I was like, "Okay, I don't know that I want to wear a tie ever again." Yeah. And I don't want to, I guess, be. Restrained by thinking I have to be in the office every day, yeah, and uh, and I just kind of have gone from there. And I, I think I told you guys once before when we, you know, when we did the real producer stuff that I've always moved somewhere for the lifestyle, and I figured that the job would figure itself out. Yeah, and I think if you're passionate about where you are and what you're doing, yeah. that stuff does kind of fall into place. I right? want
0: to pause there for a second. We uh, we had a previous guest in the podcast, and won't get into his story, but his mission was like to help people. Unleash, unleash greatness and pursue the lifestyle they want. You just kind of rolled over that. That takes courage, man, to trust, I'm, I'm going to pursue quality of life here and the rest will sort out. I mean, yeah. in a way, it, it's not a casual commitment. Like, was that hard ever? or what, Well, were it was fear? easy
1: when I wasn't married? Okay. Um, more, but yeah. I didn't get married until I was 38, and then I had triplets when I was 41. <laughs> so now it's like, oh, <laughs> He's gosh, got triplets. I, you know, I want to provide them with the lifestyle that I've had. So now you're kind of a little stressed because, like, i got to yeah. make some money to make sure yeah. these kids have a good time. Yeah. Which it doesn't take money to have a good time necessarily. Yeah. I think it's spending the time with them and introducing them to things like the outdoors and the things that we love about this area. Yeah. And so that's been my goal with my kids is just to, you know, I get kids outside is kind of my hashtag on Instagram for when I put pictures of my kids up. Yeah. Cause I just want them to get out and be active and don't want to yeah. be And if They play video games for an hour. That's fine. If they're three hours outside. Yeah. Yeah. But so that's, so the hardest part there though, was when the kids were in the NICU for 52 days. Cause mm. they were born at 29 weeks. So, oh, wow. uh, you know, I'd that's get scary. the call every day like, Oh, this one's liver's not working or <sighs> these ones kidneys are failing. And my wife's a wreck every day. Wow. So I'd tell the doctor, I said, quit calling her, call me and then I'll filter it out. Yeah. And I was working in Sandpoint, driving to Sacred Heart every day. Mm. Um, it was that was probably the hardest thing I've ever done season of your life. Yeah. yeah. And then still maintain a positive attitude because you had all this stuff coming at you. Yeah. But then what was cool of that was that we then were asked to be up for festival of trees. They were doing the NICU at the at Kootenai here. Oh. And I could relate to that having to drive all the way to Spokane every day. I mean, it's another 45 minutes, but it's, mm. they put in a NICU now. So it's a regional. So mm. people from standpoint, people from say Moscow can come up here and go to that. instead of to go all the way to Spokane.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, triplets, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's not amazing. an easy thing to work yourself through. But Three times a fun. Blessing. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I think a lot of people, when they think about, like, your position, would would have a ton of questions around the clientele. And I'm trying to think, like, what are some of the challenges that you face? What are the pros and cons? What are some of the the struggles that you have dealing with some of the most high net worth people on the planet? I mean, there's a lot of people that want to break into the luxury market. And mm-hmm. a lot of young you know, mindsets out there that are looking at what you're doing and they're going to want to have some advice there in that category. So maybe you can
1: touch on, on some of the challenges and, and, uh, any advice. Well, I think the funniest thing that I have told people this before, I think it's easier sometimes to sell a million dollar house than it is a hundred thousand dollar house. Cause for the, like a first time home buyer, that's their biggest investment they've ever made in their life. And sure. I mean, they are so stressed, Whereas what I'm selling is it's not a want or it's not a, it's not a need. It's a want, right? Like I want this lifestyle. I want to live in this place. So I think in a lot of ways, luxury buying is easier or selling is easier, Mm. but it's also, they don't need it. So it's not as always in demand. Sure. It's a little more subject to the whims of the marketplace. Right. So, and then the other thing is people, I think they get overwhelmed talking to successful people. They're a little afraid maybe like, well, they're going to think that, you know, maybe they're afraid of themselves. Like they're going to see through me. I'm not really know what I'm doing. And it's Mm -hmm. just having that confidence that you know what you're doing. You're good at it and you can relate to people. Sure. Yeah. That's, That's good advice. Really?
0: Yeah. You, you mentioned, I'm remembering now in a conversation a while back that you were really struck that the motivations behind a buyer, let's say in a luxury market, um, if I remember correctly, they were, they were pretty, very relatable. Like they're thinking about their family mm-hmm. and experiences say more about that. Like they think about a purchase. There's a lot more meaning to it than you'd realize.
1: What I get from so many people at Gauzer is that we, they remember growing up and going to the lake with their family or, mm. you know, skiing or tubing or whatever it is. And they're trying to re- recreate that for their right. kids. Like I just want my kids have that feeling that I had when I'd go to the lake on the yeah. weekend and, mm. and, and Coeur d'Alene speaks to him as that because you go downtown. That seems like there's a parade every other weekend. You know, yeah, it's a wholesome. it's like Mayberry. You know, right? yeah, <laughs> yeah, hundred an, percent. And it's how we grew up, where your parents sent you out the door in the morning and said, "Don't come home to the street." That's it, you're on. totally. Yeah. that's what it's like at. I came home at dark. Yeah, yeah that's so what I. Yeah. and they, all day. they have
0: that at Gaza for their. kids. yeah, yeah but you can you do that because it's a community.
1: Everybody watches out for one another. Yeah, so, yeah, but. I mean, it just makes me sad that not all kids get to experience. It's true. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it
2: is sad. I I was lucky enough when I was little. My grandpa had a secondary lakefront home up in Lake Tahoe. Yeah. And my favorite memories of my childhood, actually, the best part about my childhood was going up to Lake Tahoe in this in the spring to break open the cabin and then yeah. the cabin smells. It was nothing fancy. Mm-hmm. Just you tiny, had that musty little, smell. Yeah, bag, yeah, yeah. We clean. We would all the we had to do the pine yeah. needles. There was, we had to oil the decks. There was all these work that had to be done. But I realized part of my success in my life was, well, first of all, I stacked up quite a few chips as a youngster that I leveraged. But beyond that, I really was chasing like this childhood feeling. It was a smell, it was a scent in the air, it was an emotion. And I think I came as close as I can to get out it. You really can't fully capture it, but Hayden Lake did that for me.
1: Yeah, because you have a little nostalgia wrapped around hundred percent, yeah. We, but it's funny you say the smell, because yes. that's one thing that other people say when they come up. Oh, oh really? Oh, my gosh, it smells so clean smell, up here. Yeah. You come yeah. from L.A., you know, you're smelling smog and right. ozone, and yeah. it's all pine trees, and yeah. like, and it's yeah. so green. It's awesome. Sure.
2: Yeah. I hear a lot of people talking about the quarterland, and you mentioned it from L.A. We're driving a lot of Californians up here. I mean, we're such a spotlight on this market right now. Mm. Um, I don't know if you feel the influx of people coming here. Um, or if you could speak to that, but it does seem like Cortland is really on the map right now. I think it was Wall Street Journal that put Coeur d'Alene as the number one city in America during COVID. I can't remember the exact context of that article, but we were on the cover. Yeah. Um, but do you feel the surge? And I mean, how I always imagine Gaza being, and for that at least that community, but Coeur d'Alene at large really. With someone's friend, business partner, would come up to golf for a vacation. Then they buy property, and it was so that one by one, word of mouth. But now it feels like you know this is the next like Aspen almost, and you know or mm-hmm. one of these markets like that. It's super well known. Um, but do you get a sense of that from your perspective? That oh, definitely. Yeah, to? when
1: we first start, or when I first started. It was if you told somebody about Cordillera, like oh, the, they knew the floating green. Okay, that put us on the map. Like, yeah, oh, you guys have that floating green. That was it, right? And now it's all, all their friends are inviting. You know, like they're inviting their friends up, and then you talk about Cordillera. Oh, that lake is beautiful. They right. they know the area, and you know. And we had some bad press back in the '90s as well that people knew about. I remember getting interviewed about that. But now I think it. If we had Montana behind our name instead of Idaho, we would have blown up long ago. Right. Mm. So we're just starting to get discovered. But it's I used to have the kids like at the snowboard shop just, I can't wait to get out of town. I gotta get out of here. This place is so boring. And like, you guys, it's pretty good. Yeah, they don't have a clue. Then they come back five, six years later and they're like, Oh man, you were right, this place is awesome. And the outside world's discovering how awesome yeah. this is and you know let's try not to make it not awesome we need but, to keep it that way yeah. i mean
2: it's a, i think that's the biggest fears people have in this community is that the outsiders are going to come in they're going to press their ways upon this mm-hmm. this community um, from my perspective we deal with our business deals with so many people that have just bought into this market we're one of the first beneficiaries of that process but i will just say From my perspective, these are some of the kindest, most giving people that are coming from different places in America. These people really like value what's here. And I think they're bringing, for the majority of them, I think they're bringing that. I just, some of the best people I know are from having to be from California. And they're just game changers. These are the people that give, they never take they're really winners in society and they're valuable assets for your community. They bring a lot to the community. I will say prices though, this market seems like, you know, we're kind of pushing out our children Mm -hmm. uh, in this community. It's so expensive to live here. How can these kids like work and and grow in this market and stay around because everything's so expensive. Do you see, like, it's just from your perspective kind of top down look, um, you know, a way for us to really create an economy here that supports the youth so they can afford to live here.
1: Well, I think the stuff like they're doing at the the hive and the den and Mm -hmm. all those types of things that, you know, bring in entrepreneurial because you can work anywhere now. And that's what people are discovering. But a lot of money is coming to the area. So it's driven prices up. So the people that, you know, have been here forever are getting priced out. Sure. But in some ways, too, I think there's maybe a little mindset change that needs to happen maybe with some of the kids here. Like, okay, I can do whatever I want. I can stay here and be successful. I can do stuff online. I can do. And I I do feel that change coming, but it's, eh, I can't imagine being 25 and living yeah, I know. right Good now. It'd be, it'd be tough.
2: One of my big motivations, we have a development going on off 95 in Lancaster. It, you know, we're in our phase one of that, but as I think about the bigger development down mm-hmm. the road, we got 80 acres, we have another, 20 or 37 on that corner, but I'm trying to think what industries can we bring here that are going to be really healthy for the economy? We'll bring uses here that the economy is desperate for. They really do need because yeah. there's there's so much demand for stuff here, and there's no one to fill the demands. And I I get it every day. It's you know it took me like three months to get my windows clean. I mean just dumb stuff like there's oh like oh I can't. If someone's going to come fix my fr- a fridge from Fred's, and oh we'll get to you next fall. Like it's like that around here. There's just a demand, and if young people spot the opportunity and if you know entrepreneurs step up to the plate and take some big risk we're in that game now we've secured all the land we really want to bring some industry here that'll hopefully be some high-paying jobs some tech jobs like who knows how we do it but my from my perspective it's the people that are in Gaza and I know a lot of them and there's some just solid humans out there I was just talking one yesterday and the day before yesterday and like they're looking at Coeur d'Alene now almost like, all right, well, you know, I never consider Coeur d'Alene as a place I want to invest and really help build up the economy and really contribute in a way that's valuable. Most people don't think of that, but it is valuable. All this dollars in, in flowing in here to create actual an economy out of that. Um, but I think that there's a really beautiful, bright future here, um, you know, that you know, young people should be looking at with like clarity. Like there's
1: a lot of opportunity here i think there's more and more now i mean for yeah. a while there it was probably it was logging and and mining and yes, now you know, it was tourism it's and, but i think there's more than that you know, that we can start to do for the kids and the yeah. the, the people like when gaza first started there was kind of this attitude oh it's you know this elitist out there yep. and they don't care i get it and now you look at how much money is being driven back into the community and the 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 philanthropy people are doing and and a lot of it they don't they don't tell people what they're doing but there's been i mean millions and millions of dollars donated back to this community community cancer 100 um you know they did boys and girls clubs they the gods members invest back in the community and it's pretty cool um they bring cool events here they bring they they
2: really bring a a spice but community cancer fund i think that's a good place to give a really quality shout out because what they've done in this community, I think, has been pretty amazing. You, you know, know they, local guys yeah, doing it. Right. But yeah. they're bringing in all yeah, this outside money and, and doing Fritz well. Fritz Wolf and the Geese. Those guys are just amazing people. I look up to them. Those are people mm-hmm. that I look at as role models and someone that I try to mirror and be like. But, I mean, those guys are game changers. you got, you got to give them credit. You know, there's... There's all these mouthpieces that may not be happy with cordily the growth or whatever, but at the end of the day, like, you know, like this and community, gross inevitable. I the, mean, I hate it's to gonna say happen it, whether you yeah. like it or not. Mm-hmm, we're yeah. lucky that it's happening with people yeah. that care about America and freedom and the community the way because that's who we're drawing here, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. We're drawing like minded people that wanna keep our streets safe. They're trying to you know, escape to places where they see like, government overreach. Like, these are the things that Coeur draws, bottom line, and a story. Like, so yeah. it's better that because these are the givers in society, not the takers, I promise you.
0: Yep. Yeah, so, I yeah. think it'd be awesome, too, to, in lieu of our time to wrap up, swing back to this mission-driven question for you, Sean. Sure. I, uh, you remind me, I can't remember his name. He's one of the co-founders of Netflix. He's like an angel investor in multiple companies, and he always it reminds me of your story about working in that stock related uh, capacity in that Friday to go on a simple date or whatever. Yeah. But he was like, look man, for 30 years I've invested in multiple companies. You call me at 4:58 PM on a Tuesday. I'll take the call, but I'll tell you, Hey, I'm going to get off this call in 92 seconds to go on a date with my wife. He didn't miss it for 35 years, no matter. And I just love that. Cause obviously it's a, it's a man who's on a mission accomplishing a things. And yeah. then, but he protected that. And at a distance, I admire that about you. You, you, you practice what you preach. I mean, I, I'm in this local market. I know you, and I get to see pictures of the adventures you go on with your sons. But maybe if you could kind of end with a, a story or a remark about that collision of, like, lifestyle, accomplishment. Maybe, maybe there's a gauzer guest or, or something in there that kind of illustrates the importance of having the courage to uh, – I mean, Eric talks about this all the time. Life's short. We're all going to die. Like, live the life you want to live, man. So uh, does something come to mind from your experience with your friends at Gauzer's that exemplifies that? Or
1: Yeah, I mean, I met a guy who was, you know, huge. I think it was with Shearson Lehman Brothers, maybe, out of yeah. Chicago. And he moved up. He was 42. He had sold, I think he, I think he sold for like $105 million or something like that. Wow. And he was super bummed. I'm like, what's wrong, man? And he's like, oh, well, you go up, you know, snowboarding at Schweitzer. I'd love to be a good skier, but I missed my time. I'm like, whoa, forty two. What, what are you talking about? You're 42 <laughs> years old. You, you go ski a hundred days a year for the next five years. And guess what? You'll be a great skier. Yep. But he really felt like he had worked, you know, he was working 110, 120 hours a week. Wow. Just crazy. You know, just go, 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 go. And he felt like he missed out on all that stuff. Yeah. Mm. And so there's got to be that balance in there. And you gotta have to have happiness. I, I was sad for him. I was like, Oh man, that. You really think it's oh, you're 42. Yeah. I was older than him at the time. Yeah. And I was like, no, yeah. that, that's not the case, buddy. But yeah. Um, so I think that's the one thing. And, you know, I lost a lot of friends in my twenties that, you know, we're doing dumb stuff and, but you do realize that at any moment it could be gone. So, you know, take the time to spend some time with your kids, to be with your loved ones to do the things you love to do. And I remember in a down market one time I was like, I've got to get in the office and be there 10 hours every day. this was in like, Oh, eight, Oh nine. And my business was going down. I wasn't happy. And I said, okay, I've got to make an effort to be outside every day for an hour and a half. Smart. Just go for a run, go skiing, go for a mountain bike ride, whatever it was. Yeah. I started doing that and boom, my business started going boom. back yeah. up because I was happy. Yeah. And I wasn't desperate. I so wasn't like, yeah, yeah. So. so good.
2: That is such a good rule to add to your life. I always talk about rules. It's I'm doing a big speech. Half of it's about rules, but what a wonderful rule to add in. Like hour get, get outside yeah. every single day. What's your
0: hashtag again? get kids
1: outside get
2: kids kids outside outside. well there you go we're living it man that's amazing Sean thank you so much this is so cool to get a little peek into your world and uh, I'd love to do this again someday sure anytime thanks guys
1: man on a mission
2: man on a mission I'm 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 a man on a mission